I'm Jason Scorse, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great, and I hope you are avoiding zombies in your daily life as much as possible. There are many, many out there, and uh, it is a precarious time. So today's episode is entitled, Can We Save Capitalism? Big topic. We're not going to be able to definitively answer that question today, but I'd like to give a framework for thinking about this that I think will be useful to many of you. I have a PhD in economics from a fairly reputable school, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about this topic for about 20 years, so hopefully you'll find some value in what I have to say. And clearly this is a time when capitalism is really on shaky ground in many many parts of the world. We see capitalism pushing us to ecological collapse, where more and more studies are coming out saying that, you know, millions of species are at risk of extinction. Obviously, the the prognosis for climate change is getting more dire. And then, of course, we have the grotesque income inequality around the world that is infecting many nations, and including the United States, where although we are the wealthiest nation in the world, Uh, Many of our citizens are incredibly stressed out financially, living in poverty, living month to month, and not really enjoying the fruits that this capitalist society really has to offer for those of us who are more fortunate. So before we get into kind of the, the deeper discussions here, the first thing that's important is to just define what capitalism is, because like many things... There's a lot of myth, there's a lot of superficiality, a lot of real kind of fabrication and just misunderstanding and confusion over what capitalism is. So the basic definition here is that capitalist societies are societies in which private ownership really dominates the economic life of the society. So individuals can start their own businesses, they can choose their professions, they can buy and sell what they want, people can trade with other countries, other regions, and essentially the government does not have much direct control over economic life. Now what's interesting to note though is that that's a pretty generic definition and even the United States, which considers itself very far on the capitalist spectrum, doesn't meet this definition by any stretch of the imagination. So the first thing to point out here is that Many of our largest industries in the United States, whether it's aviation, computer technology, communications, energy, have benefited from tens, hundreds of billions of dollars of government R&D and investment. You know, famously, the Internet came out of the Department of Defense looking for network systems of communication that could survive and be uh, available in wartime. And that really spawned the World Wide Web. Uh, NASA and its quest for space exploration led to a lot of the aviation technologies, a lot of the uh, money invested in 
energy research has really helped spark the renewable energy and battery revolution. So even in America, our biggest industries are really dependent and prospering because of government research and development and government work. Of course, also the most popular programs in America, Social Security, Medicare, the Veterans Administration, are all government-run entities, public education, which in most parts of the country is pretty popular. Again, government-run institutions. And so the thing to point out here is that capitalism doesn't exist in a pure form. And so what we're going to be talking about and arguing about and debating going forward here is this blend of government involvement and state involvement versus private actors and what's the right mix or is the entire model broken and we need a completely different model and we will come to that at the end of the episode but it's very important to realize because while Norway and Canada have much more government intervention and they're much farther on the spectrum to that and that model even America, which is an uber-capitalist society, is not anywhere even close to the kind of libertarian ideal. And I think for good reason, because raw capitalism, which the government has almost completely hands-off uh, posture, is really an, a disaster and would just be would produce unacceptable outcomes really across the board. And if anything, the argument is that, that our mix is wrong and we should move towards more public goods and more... You know, government support. The second point I'd like to make here is that the father of modern capitalism, Adam Smith, was very clear in his Wealth of Nations that he thought businessmen, and back then it was only men, were inherently corrupt and unethical and would really always seek to profit at others' expense, you know, unscrupulously without direct competition, you know, threatening their their hold on power if they went too far in a corrupt direction. And also, he believed very strongly that capitalism could only really prosper if it was built on a strong moral foundation, that kind of the, the underbelly, the foundation of society that promoted ethical values. This is why he wrote the theory of moral sentiments before he wrote The Wealth of Nations. This is very, very important because this kind of notion that came in the 80s under the kind of Reagan revolution and then was, you know, personified in Wall Street and Gordon Gecko with Michael Douglas, you know, greed is good. Everyone out for themselves. Greed is good. Do whatever you can to make a buck. That's what capitalism is. That is wrong. That is not what the, 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 the philosopher who actually created the modern capitalist system believed. He actually believed the opposite. He believed businessmen were incredibly corrupt and it would be rare that they would be alone in a room without plotting to do some nefarious action and that we need a, a strong moral foundation to, to, to steer and direct capitalism in, in good directions. So that's the, the framework that I'd kind of like to set out here. After the break, we'll talk a little bit more about what sustainable capitalism might look like, what are the impediments to this, where on the spectrum is the right mix of kind of government versus private action? And then, of course, what you all can do uh, to make capitalism better or to conceive of an alternative system. So we'll get to that right after the break. 
So what would a sustainable capitalism look like? So before we get to any discussion of whether we should just scrap capitalism altogether, let's talk about what sustainable capitalism might look like in real terms, not just theoretically. And what this really revolves around is the issue of exponential growth. Right? Capitalism is based on investment and then people getting a return on this investment. People getting a return on this investment means they want to see growth, right? When you put in money in a, a business, an IPO, a stock, your own business, you know, you want to see, you know, that 5, 10, 20, or whatever percent return. Doing that every year, we get into the exponential growth curve here where even small percentage changes every year over 20, 30, 40, 50 year leads to exponential growth. And what people point out is that if this growth is in cutting down trees, mining, burning fossil fuels, producing consumer goods, exponential growth in a world of finite resources is not possible. And in a lot of ways, the, the current context in which we have rapidly accelerating climate change, massive species extinction and just incredible pollution blanketing the globe really looks like this growth model is truly unsustainable that the, the inherent logic of growth in capitalism is unsustainable and i will say that there's an intuition to this that is absolutely true the where this gets a little tricky though is growth doesn't have to be growth in physical output Okay, so growth could be the growth in knowledge. It could be growth in efficiency. It could be growth in new renewable energy. So imagine if you have a portfolio of investments that's growing every year, but it's growing every year because computers are getting better at diagnosing diseases and therefore the value of those programs are increasing because they're getting better at curing people's maladies. Imagine if... It's the technology is making manufacturing much more efficient, it is reducing plastic and replacing plastic. So the growth in your portfolio, the growth in your investments is coming from actually decreasing pollution and decreasing material throughput in the economy. That is not just an abstract point. That is actually possible. It has not happened, though, yet. So all of the economies that are growing, that GDP is growing every year, they are not reducing their material throughput. It is not a one-for-one. One. So every time China grows 6%, it doesn't mean they're using 6% more coal. So this is being decoupled a little. We can have growth that comes with less material throughput. 
but we have not reversed it where we see economies growing and yet their actual amount of resources and pollution is decreasing. So that's the key, key thing here that I want to uh, point out is that capitalism can only be sustainable as if that growth is coming through the use of less resources over time. And that's something that I, that I, I know a little bit about being that I focus in environmental policy. And the key thing here is taking the externalities seriously and having true cost pricing. And so what does this mean? It means that if you're a coal producer and you're putting $50, $100 worth of damage on society through bad air quality and climate change for every ton of coal you burn, you need to pay that, right? The polluter needs to pay for their damages. If you're a company that produces lots of plastic and that's going into the ocean and choking up the, you know, the waterways and killing marine life, you need to pay those damages. The point being here is that if you have true cost pricing, many of these companies would change their ways because it would be uneconomic for them to continue business as usual. And in fact, most of the biggest industries in the world, mining, logging, fossil fuels are uneconomic. If you include the damages they do to society in their economic models, they would be bankrupt. So we're really in an upside down world here where the, the biggest industries are actually causing harm to the planet while people get rich off of them. And so taking this on head on is going to be a big part of the challenge. The last part I'll, I'll mention about the sustainability here is in the social sustainability, right? A capitalism that produces massive economic inequality and leads to people, you know, being stressed out and, and not being able to have financial security is going to be inherently unstable because of the social upheaval. And what's required to address this is acknowledging the role of luck in society. Most of our prosperity is due to luck. Just take Mark Zuckerberg. If he had been born five years earlier or five years later, he wouldn't be worth 65 billion years. I mean, sorry, 55 billion dollars. He would be you know, maybe a, a good computer coder may have started another business, but he would not be the CEO of Facebook, right? Most people, their their lot in life is determined by the genes they get from their parents. If their parents have money and are educated, they're going to have money and are educated. Most of the traits that we think of that are attributed to, you know, our hard work are really genetic traits, right? The intelligence that I have, what, what little I have I got from my parents, right? And they, you know, they put me in school and read to me and, and then I, you know, I was able to get a degree and go get a job, right? I didn't do anything to deserve this. You know, the woman who's born into a poor family in Appalachia and, you know, drinks polluted water and is malnourished and her, her you know, IQ is, is, is hampered because of that. She didn't do anything to deserve that. So we have to acknowledge the role of luck and therefore have a lot of more income redistribution to help, you know, smooth out the kind of the ups and downs of luck. And so these are these are the things that would really be necessary to make capitalism sustainable. And the question is whether this is possible. So after the break, I'll talk about some of the, the economic political realities that that certainly make it hard to conceive of a sustainable capitalism but which, which is possible. Yeah, boy. Well, remember. 
Okay, so is it possible to make capitalism sustainable, right? And so the two things here are to price pollution and resource extraction correctly so that the polluting companies, the fossil fuel companies, the mining companies, the plastic companies, the toxic chemical companies actually pay for the damages they put into society. And let me be clear, the way I kind of often describe this is like imagine if someone crashed a car into your house and they're pulling away and you say, hey, wait up, wait up, you have to pay the damages. And they say, no, that's just the way the economy works. You know, we drive around and every now and then we crash into things and that's just the nature of the economy. So, you know, too bad. I'm, I'm out of here. Right. We would think that's crazy. That's exactly what these polluting companies are doing. They're burning coal and that coal is, you know, killing people and spreading mercury contamination and making asthma. And they're just like, oh, too bad. You know, not our problem. You know, it, it blew away from our factory and it's in your face. Sorry. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. It's 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 only because we have such the power of these companies that we even are even in a situation where they're getting away with this. There's also the issue of regulatory capture, right? Which is that even if you have a government entity that is supposedly charged with policing these companies and making sure that they do pay the damages, that they'll just be captured by unscrupulous actors and you know, you'll have industry people regulating themselves. This is essentially what the Republican Party does, right? The Republican Party is essentially a captured political party. It's, you know, as I as you have mentioned, it's, it's, it's basically a white grievance cult in the service of plutocracy. And so the Republican Party doesn't really do regulation. They just let industry people come into government, give industry whatever they want, literally letting industry write the regulations, doing whatever they can to undermine the regulations that were done by a, an administration that actually cared about the public good. And then as soon as these people are you know, kicked out or leave because of ethical concerns, whether they're your, you know, Scott Pruitt or Ryan Zinke, they go to then work for industry. So it's this kind of revolving door of corruption and malfeasance. So the issue is, is could we have a society where we could really reform capitalism? And I think the answer is a cautious yes. And the, the reason being is that there are societies that do this reasonably well. For example, Europe has an orientation where companies have to prove chemicals are safe, not the other way around in the United States where we have to prove that they're damaging in order to block them. A lot of people pointed out, why would Europe have this orientation and the U.S. not? And some people point out that it is because Europe has universal health care, so the government's are on the hook to pay for everyone's medical bills and therefore they don't want corporations to put, you know, poisons into the atmosphere or into the water supply that are going to they're going to have to pay for in the end anyway. I don't want to over romanticize, you know, European governments and their regulation. There's plenty of malfeasance in Europe, but they just certainly do a much better job and they're actually doing a better job on on climate change in general as well. On the issue of you know, allowing for the role of luck in society and really acknowledging that and having a much stronger welfare state that redistributes income because some people get bad luck, some people get good and trying to even that out a little. Again, 
our, our brethren and sistren in Canada and Australia and Norway and France and Germany, South Korea, do a pretty good job of creating social and economic systems that have a pretty nice social welfare state. And the kind of stress and financial insecurity that most Americans face does not exist in those societies. And, and those societies are in many ways uh, less wealthy materially than us, and yet they, they achieve it. So again, America is really an anomaly in the developed world of having corporations run amok and also for having uh, a social welfare state that is quite stingy. So the, the point being here is that political economy to overcome the power of corporate interests is very difficult. It's incredibly difficult where one of our political parties, the GOP, is entirely captured by industry and is really out to undermine the public good. So it is much more a case of destroying, dismantling, and weakening the Republican Party than it is about capitalism. And, and so I, I'm going to use that as a springboard to the antidotes that are coming next, where I do think some reforms are possible and we can make capitalism a lot more humane and sustainable. Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know I need someone. Help. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never, I never needed anybody's help in any way. Now, but now these days are gone, I'm not so self-assured. Okay, so on to the antidote for today. I want to first freely admit that I cannot envision a system post-capitalism. So it is maybe my lack of imagination or my lack of radicalism, but I just don't know what a society would look like, especially a global society with you know 8 to 10 billion people that wasn't largely based on kind of private decision-making and personal freedom to choose occupations and to kind of choose to in invest and invent and be entrepreneurs. You know, there have been many attempts at, you know, systems that are post-capitalist, whether it's some form of cum communalist system, you know, the kibbutzes in Israel, which many of those still exist, but they are much more capitalist than they used to be. Or, of course, communist systems which failed miserably and produced some of the worst atrocities of, of the last century. So, from my view, we need to just make capitalism a lot better. And so, what can we all do to achieve this? I'd say the first thing is, is putting our money in ethical investments. Most of us, or hopefully all of us, at some point... We'll have money to invest in our retirement. And you can put that money into, you know, businesses and portfolios that represent your ethics, right? Don't put them into fossil fuel funds. Don't put them into military. Don't put them into tobacco and junk food. 
This is hard to do if you're doing the big mutual funds that try to cover you know, the whole stock market, but you can certainly do your best to steer your money in a way that is you know, more uh, ethical and not you know, all the negative aspects of capitalism. I'd say even more importantly is modeling ethics in your everyday life, in your interactions with your family, your friends, and in your business relations at work. You know, after Donald Trump got elected and a lot of my students were freaking out and, you know, it was a pretty, pretty hard time. And, and what I told them is, is that the, re, the way we get a Donald Trump, you know, a corrupt lunatic like that to be president is all the little small things that we let slide that then accumulate and you get a Donald Trump, right? So all the racist comments by your uncle at Thanksgiving, all the, the kind of racist comments that people say on the checkout line when they hear someone speak Spanish, you know, that homophobic comments that go unanswered. And, you know, when you give license to this stuff, it, it creeps into society and, and accumulates. The same thing is true with capitalism, right? Capitalism, if people are unethical and lying and cheating in their, you know, in the micro at, at their workplace or with their spouse, that then creeps up, right? If you're going to be unethical and with the people you directly engage with, when you're making decisions and people are making decisions that affect people around the world, of course they're going to be unethical and of course they're not going to care. So again, coming back to this key moral foundation that we really need to model the ethics in our personal interactions that we want to scale up uh, to, to the larger system. The, the final point I'll make here is that, again, and this might sound a little like a broken record, but it's a broken record only because it is true, which is that, by and large, the Democratic Party wants to make capitalism better, wants to take on the fossil fuel companies, wants to create a better social safety net. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and many other Democrats talking about taking on the big banks and the big tech and doing antitrust and bringing more competition to society. The Democrats are not perfect. They've been, a lot of them have been captured by big banks in, in the past. They're a little too cozy with Wall Street. And I'm not saying that they have no corruption at all. But on the other side of the aisle, the Republicans are thoroughly, thoroughly corrupt and literally doing the bidding of the worst uh, corporate actors in the country and in the world. And so defeating the Republican Party is really probably the most important step to getting a, a, a more just and sustainable capitalism because the Democratic Party has actually quite a lot of good ideas uh, for reforming capitalism. So for those of you who wanted a, uh, the answer as no, that we can save capitalism and wanted my ideas on a, you know, a new system, I'm sorry to disappoint. I just, I just lack the imagination for what might take capitalism's place. But on the plus side, I really do think that it can be reformed and we can create a sustainable capitalism. It's going to be tough, but I think it is possible. So with that, everybody, I hope you have a great rest of the week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Stitcher. Rate it, share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. And with that, everybody, take care, be well. Mm -hmm.